One of the things that I enjoy about the concept of having a new year is that it gives us a chance for a fresh start, a new beginning. Now, some people don't care about starting things uh, anew or New Year's resolutions. How many people like to do New Year's resolutions? I see. One or two, three. Um, This is a time, a chance to reflect. Now, I didn't always used to enjoy this time. Actually, my wife has had a major influence on helping me think about the past and looking ahead to the future and maybe considering some redos. This is a chance to reflect on the past year. It's a chance for me to uh, reevaluate some of the decisions I made in 2012. It's a time to recalibrate and to refocus on the year to come. It's a time to look at how I handled my money um, and how can I be more generous. It's an opportunity to look at my spiritual life uh, and sharpen the focus for my own spiritual life. It's a time to think about my relationships. It's a time to sit down with my wife and say, hey, how are we doing? And, you know, let Sue tell me how we are doing. How's my parenting? And my wife is glad to give me input about my role as a parent. It's a time um, to consider how am I doing in ministry? Where are some things I need to sharpen in the year to come? Now, you can do this any time of the year, but do you take time to do uh, evaluation or reflection? Um, for me, this time of year is usually a time to start thinking about refocusing my exercise plan and uh, maybe uh, my healthy or lack of healthy eating habits. Uh, so um, let's look. I ha- we have some um, top 10 New Year's resolutions. This is from the G- University of Scranton Journal of Psychology. It's only two weeks old, December 13th, 2012. These were the top 10 that people picked in 2012 to lose weight. I don't know if anybody you would want, to do, want to do that in 2013. Get organized. That's a good plan. I, I could get organized. Spend less and save more. That would be good. Enjoy life to the fullest. Yeah, uh, that could even have a Christian perspective. Stay fit and healthy. That's a good one. Learn something new and exciting. Quit smoking. I did that one a few years back. Help someone else achieve their dreams. Fall in love. I'm in love. I'd Don't need to fall anymore. Uh, Spend more time with family. That's a good one. So uh, those are some of the things that people uh, committed to in 2012. Um, It's interesting to note that 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. 38%, which is most of you, make no New Year's resolutions. 8% of people are successful with their New Year's resolutions. And people who make New Year's resolutions are 10 times more likely to make their goals in life. Today we're going to start a new uh, five-part series entitled The Church Refocused. Uh, This is a series I've been waiting to do for quite a while, and it just seemed like it would be so good to do it as we start 2013. Uh, Think about refocusing. Uh, In Revelation chapter 1 through 3, and that's where we're going to be in the next five weeks, or in the next five weeks, Jesus will evaluate seven churches, and he will give seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation. And we're going to be reading their mail and see what we can learn to see what Jesus would say to us. So today is going to be a brief introduction to the book of Revelation, and it's a brief introduction to our five-part series. 
So if you follow on your outline, your program, uh, the, the very first thing we want to point out is that God gives special favor to those who study biblical prophecy and take it to heart. God gives special favor to those who study biblical prophecy and take it to heart. Now, there's, this is a special promise to studying the book of Revelation. And uh, it's one of the hardest books in the Bible. It's one of the most complicated books in the Bible, and it requires the most information about the entire Bible. And yet, there is a promise here of God's favor for those who study it. Now, I think this application could be made to all the Bible, any of your Bible reading. If you study, take it to heart. God will bless you. Uh, So let's begin with our outline. First of all, the title of the book uh, is in chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's look at that passage. Here it is, the revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way, did you know that that is the title of the book? The Revelation of Jesus Christ. I have a pet peeve if you know me very long. There is no book in the Bible called Revelations. It's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the book was named after. It was named after the first phrase of the book, and we call it Revelation. If you read the entire book, 22 chapters, never once is Revelations ever mentioned. It's never plural in the book. Okay, so the name of the book is Revelation, or better, The Revelation. It all looks toward one specific revelation, and it will be the revelation of Jesus Christ, I think. Okay, here we go. So that's the title. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So this revelation, the Father gave to the Son, to Jesus, to show his servants Those would be his followers, and specifically, they're going to be to the seven churches in chapters 2 and chapter 3, and this is to us as well by application to those who follow Christ, to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, we get the idea by reading this in English that what John's talking about here, or excuse me, I haven't gotten to John yet, but what the book is about here is it's going to soon take place like tomorrow, like um, first century This is written about 95, 96 AD. So the idea is that John thought it was going to happen, and John wasn't sure when it was going to happen. But the idea of it soon take place is once it starts, it's going to happen quickly. Okay? It's like a time clock, a prophetic time clock. And when you get there, it's going to start to move quickly. The whole book is going to unfold quickly. So must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So started with the father. It went to the son. The son Jesus sent an angel. We don't know who the angel is. There's always an interpret. I shouldn't. Say, there's typically an interpreting angel to a book like this. There is in the book of John an interpreting angel. We don't know who this is. Maybe it's Gabriel. He's the one that often shows up. He showed up in the book of Daniel. He showed up in Luke chapter one. If I were guessing, and it wouldn't make any difference if I did or not, I would guess this might be Gabriel. And. Uh, So sending his angel to a servant, John. So John is just a servant here. And uh, let's go to uh, the human author in verses, this is in verse 2. This is John, the servant John, who testifies everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so uh, this is our human author. It is John. We don't know everything about John from this book. But uh, we know from the first century that one of John's disciples said, this is 
This is the Apostles John. This is, this is the John who wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He was one of the 12 disciples. There's a lot of uh, words that John uses in the book of Revelation that line up with um, the Gospel of John. For example, who testifies to everything he saw. So John is saying, I, was, I am an eyewitness. I, the writer here, John, says, I am an eyewitness. I have seen these things firsthand. By the way, John was an eyewitness to Jesus living on earth as one of the disciples. And he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. Pretty significant stuff. So John, let's stay back, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God. Sound familiar to anybody? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14 tells us it's Jesus. One of the terms that's used for the word of God refers to Jesus. And that's what John is doing here. He's saying that is the word of God that um, Jesus is a revelation of God and the testimony, the things that Jesus did and said, the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John has seen Jesus in the past. Now John has seen Jesus in the future and how God's future plan of history is going to unfold. The blessing is in verse 1 through 3. This is God's special favor to those who study biblical prophecy. The blessing is 1 verse 3. Let's look at Revelation 1 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what was written in it, because the time is near. A promised blessing. This is a, you know, Jesus gave Beatitudes, blessings in Matthew 5. This is a Beatitude right here. By the way, if you study the book of Revelation, you could count seven blessings given in the book of Revelation. They're not marked out, one, two, three, four, five. You have to look for them. Seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. If you know anything about the book of Revelation, it's all about sevens. And in the Gospel of John, there were seven signs that pointed to Jesus. Here's seven blessings. And this one is for those who study, those who, first of all, it's one who reads. This is the idea of a public setting of the reading of Scripture. So this is a church gathered, and one reads, singular, blessed are those, plural, who hear it, because they didn't have their own Bibles like you do. And take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is here. So it's not only reading it and hearing it, but it's, it's taking it to heart. And living as if it really makes a difference. Living differently. Um, uh, J. Vernon McGee, uh, an old-time Bible teacher, called this the, the beated, beatitude of Bible study. Study the Bible and get blessed. So God promises a special blessing for those who study the book of Revelation. Uh, it, it, as I mentioned earlier, it's a difficult book. It's uh, a book full of apocalyptic literature. It's full of symbols, and they are intentional. It's like putting a veil on the scripture. The symbols, though, always represent concrete reality. It's about the future. 
And God has given lots of clues in the Bible about understanding this book. I didn't say it was easy, and I can't say that I know everything about it. I only know a tiny bit about the book. But God says, if you'll give yourself to this book, I will bless you. John, 18, John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus gives another promise to the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, uh, New American Standard says, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. You're the real deal. You're genuine. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I've always loved that. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When I went off to college as a young atheist, that phrase was on the top of uh, the first class that I went to right at the door. And I thought that was so cool that I'm now I'm going to leave my old world. Now I'm going to go get educated and become enlightened. And I will know the truth and I'll be smarter than other people. I didn't even know it was from the Bible. And I didn't study the Bible at all during my college years. And so I didn't get set free. But that's, a, that's, a, that's an awesome uh, promise that if I pay attention to God's word, and I put it into my life, there's a new freedom I can have. It includes uh, freedom from the power of sin, freedom from death, um, freedom to overcome addiction. It's God's power. It's God's truth. It's about putting those things into my heart. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 35 is a great encouragement to me. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I can count on what Jesus said. I can count on it by application to all of Scripture. I can count on all of God's word. It doesn't change. Every promise he made will come true just as he said. He is faithful. His word is true. It is trustworthy. It is reliable. So let's make an application for us here. Commit to reading the Bible regularly in 2013. God said, I will bless you if you will study it and put it in practice. You know, as we uh, sort of come to the end and we look ahead, maybe uh, you had good intentions in 2012 and maybe haven't been real successful. What about 2013? Why, why not start over? Why not make a simple plan? Make it simple. Make it personal. Something that works for you, where you get a regular intake of God's Word. Uh, make a New Year's resolution. But if you hate New Year's resolutions, just make a, set a goal, okay? A little personal goal. Maybe share it with somebody else. Um, listen to uh, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Peter says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Now, Peter is talking about craving God's word. Crave pure spiritual milk because Scripture is, is like spiritual food. It's like uh, milk for an infant, and as you grow, it becomes spiritual food. You can, you can digest more things like the book of Revelation doesn't come usually with infancy comes as you grow up. But here's the cool thing. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You have to have an intake of God's word to grow up spiritually. And so I'm not here to beat you over the head about, with the Bible or about the Bible. Consider for yourselves what you would do in the next year to grow in your understanding of Scripture, to grow in reading the Bible for yourself. For people who haven't read the Bible, the first uh, 
bit of information, I, advice I give is say, read the book of John. Read the book of John just like a story. What's, what are the main features of the book of John? Look at the big picture. Don't worry about things that you don't understand. Uh, I love uh, what Mark Twain said. He said, and Mark Twain, uh, although he faked being a Christian once for his wife's sake, I see a few guys trying that. He faked being a Christian, but he never became a follower of Christ, as far as we understand. And he said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me. It's the things in the Bible that I do understand that bothers me. It's a lot of things that are pretty simple that God wants you to understand. And as you read more, the picture fits together and you understand more. It's one of the reasons God gave teachers to the church is to help people put some of the parts together so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. This is one of the reasons we have growth groups is to help people grow. And our growth groups are about in, uh, in t- intentional growth. We want people to come because they want to grow. Okay, uh, next passage, James one twenty one. Similar idea. It's, it's the same as what Peter had. He said, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the, the word planted in you which can save you. My point is there are things that sometimes stuff gets in our life and stuff crowds out our desire for spiritual things and we become insensitive to spiritual things. And sometimes it's a matter, okay, I need to reflect here. What in my life do I need to remove so that God's word has a home, so God's word is comfortable in my life, so that I want, that I choose to have God's word in my life. Sometimes maybe it's sin that I need to confess. In verse 22, just like the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's like taking it to heart, putting it into practice, putting it into your life. So uh, commit to the reading, reading the Bible regularly in 2013. Um, let me suggest, here's the plan that I'm using. There are lots of good reading plans. Some of you have tried a lot of good reading plans. I'm using Walk Through the Bible, Daily Walk. There's a lot of good reading plans. Even Walk Through the Bible, that's the name of an organization. You can find it online. I'm sorry, I don't have a slide. It's walkthrough.org. And through is T-H-R-U, walkthrough.org. I've used this over the years. I've, um, this is a reading plan to read through the Bible. This particular one is to read through the Bible in one year. I like to do it to, to, so that I can keep a big picture on all of Scripture so I don't get locked into one area all the time. It's good to lock into uh, areas. Walk Through the Bible has several reading plans. One is called the Closer Walk. Smaller amount of Scripture, good application. Daily Walk is what I uh, am reading. Tapestry is uh, f- for, a, for a woman. Um, Indeed, Exploring the Heart of God is another one. And there's one called uh, YW. It's um, Youth Walk for, for teens. So some good stuff here. Um, I am just now finishing the book of Revelation um, in my reading. There's always questions of application. There's a lot of information about the Bible. Now, that's just one. And some of you could mention a, a lot of good programs. What I forgot to do, of all days, I didn't bring my phone, but I was going to bring up the U version. A lot of you know about the U version. That's an online, uh, it's an incredible 
way to get the scriptures on your, on your uh, smartphone. And you can get about any translation you want in English and a lot of translations that aren't in English. And it has reading plans on it. That's uversion.com. And um, some of you just finished the Advent um, reading plan. My wife just did. And a lot, really applicable. Um, a lot of people uh, were doing that and were encouraged by it. So there's no perfect one. Find one that's for you. We did one last uh, year with uh, Radical. We, had a, we went through the New Testament as a church family. Find something simple. You know, maybe it's reading a chapter a day. If you're going to read through the whole Bible, sometimes you're going to have to read three or four or five chapters at a day. The, the nice thing about walk through the Bible is when you get to the weekend, they let you do one reading in two days. So don't be legalistic. That's why I use the word regular. Don't beat yourself up if you miss. But just come back and be, try to be regular. Okay, let's go on. Number two. And God is going to bless you if uh, you commit to growing in his word. Secondly, on your outline, God wants us to know the end from the beginning. This is verses 4 through 8. So we are in the introduction. The whole purpose of what John the Apostle is doing here is in introducing the entire book. God wants us to know the end from the beginning. God wants us to know how human history turns out. Uh, guess what? It didn't end on December 21st. But we already know how it's going to turn out. We don't know the when, but we know how it's going to turn out. We know several things that are going to happen before the world comes to an end. The book of Revelation is the answer to the question, how does it all turn out? How does it end? The word, we could call this book the apocalypse. I almost hate to bring that up because it's a word that gets used so much for other things. The Greek word for revelation is apocalypse, apocalypsis. It's about the end. It's about the revelation because Jesus is going to be unveiled and it's going to be some people's worst nightmare when he comes in all his glory. So, now to the destination of the book. Who are the readers, the recipients, the destination? Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And we're going to, there are seven letters Jesus is going to write to each of these churches, and we're going to be studying those to see what Jesus had to say. And they, they include Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Come back next week, and we will continue. The greeting is in verses 4 and 5. The greeting is from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Grace and peace to you. That's the very common, it's, it started in the first century in Christianity, grace and peace together. Grace, charis, being a Greek word, peace being the Hebrew, shalom, Old Testament, New Testament together. Grace, you're standing before God, and peace, your experience with God. Grace and peace to you from Him, from God, who is and was and is to come. This is probably a reference to the Son, it almost looks like these could be interchangeable. Uh, probably, excuse me, a, a, pro, a reference to the Father and who was and is to come. And secondly, from the seven spirits before his throne. 
A little confusing there. Seven spirits? Who's that? What is that? Are those angels? Probably not. It's probably a reference to the Holy Spirit describing his sevenfold ministry. And uh, I'm going to go back, and you can just listen. I, I, we read this verse, I think it was the last week or the week before. This is from Isaiah 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He will be anointed by the Holy Spirit, the Christ. That's what the Christ means. He, he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And here it is, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And that may well be uh, why the seven spirits are mentioned here. And seven is one of those perfect numbers that John uses over and over again. And I believe this one refers to the Holy Spirit. And then verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, uh, who is the faithful witness. So there's the Son. We've had the Father and the Spirit and the Son, who is a faithful witness. Jesus was a faithful witness in his first coming when he lived on earth, when he told about the Father, when he did, when he ple- when he did the will of his Father, and when he did the works of God, and when he died on the cross, and when he was raised again. He was a faithful witness to the Father. Um, John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus was a faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead, he was the first uh, resurrected person who took on a new body. He not only came back from the dead, but he came back with a new body. He's the first and only to ever have accomplished this, and he's not the last. Because one day... If you're a follower of Christ, you too will be raised. And he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. The book of Revelation is about this right here. The ruler of the kings of the earth. When Jesus was on earth the first time, he was not the ruler of the kings of the earth. The book of Revelation explains how he gets there. Revelation chapter 19, where he is called king of kings and lord of lords. He will become king over all the kings of earth earth and uh, the ruler of the kings of the earth is an answer when you think about this to the Lord's prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven there's a time coming when the kingdom will be on earth and the earth will do like the like they do in heaven there will be obedience under the king, the king of kings. Uh, Dedication. Every book gets dedicated. This book gets dedicated. Verses 1, chapter 1, 5, and 6. To him. So this is a dedication. To him who loves us. Who is that? It's Jesus. Please note this. To him who loves us is present tense. John 3, 16 is past, for God so loved the world. But this is now, present tense, to him who loves us now. Jesus loves you now. No matter who you are or what you've done, he loves you. 
just the way you are, okay? To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He's freed us from our, our penalty to sin, which is death, eternal death. Uh, and he's done this by his blood. That is, when he died on the cross, his blood was shed as a payment for our sin penalty for the entire world. His death is infinitely, his life is infinitely valuable. It pays the entire sin penalty. You know, the sin penalty is finite, by the way. If you just go ahead and add up your sin penalty with the person next to you and every person that's ever been born and every person that ever will be born, it's going to be a finite number and the penalty is going to be finite and Jesus' life is infinite, infinitely valuable. And has made us to be a kingdom. So we're going to get into this kingdom. Remember the kingdom of God. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, then it's going to be present. And and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. God made you to be a priest. And we've talked about this. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. God made you to be a priest. He didn't say priestess, but you could be. What is a priest? A priest is a mediator between God and man and man and God. Church history was revolutionized during the Reformation because there used to be a church in Rome that said the only way you could get to God is through a priest. The only way you could have access to God was through the priest. He was the only one who could allow anybody in to God's kingdom of heaven. The only way you could have your sins forgiven were through that priest. Martin Luther, in studying the Bible, realized that's not true. And Martin Luther was a priest. He realized that everybody who believes in Jesus is a priest, is a mediator between God and man. And so our job as a mediator is to represent man to God. So we should pray for people. We should pray for people who don't know him yet. We are to be a mediator between man and God and, and God and man. Not only do we pray for them and bring them to God, we tell people about God. We help them understand how to have a relationship with God. So, your job is to be a priest. How are you doing? What would you do differently in 2012 to be a mediator between God and man and man and God? Maybe we could commit to praying more. Maybe we could commit to praying for people who don't know Jesus yet. Maybe we could commit to speaking more for Jesus as we have opportunity. Okay. And then finally, the uh, doxology to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. What a way to go. It's an act of worship and an act of honor. The keynote is in verse 7. This is what the whole book is about. This is where it's going. I told you this is an introduction. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because, because of him. So shall it be. Amen. This is what the book of Revelation is about. Get ready. He's coming. Look, he's coming. Pay attention. He's coming. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. It's not going to be private. It's going to be public. And everyone on earth will see him. He's coming with the clouds. Daniel 7, 13 was that clue. This in my vision at night, Daniel says, I looked and there before me was one like the son of man. This is a son of man was a term that Jesus most often used of himself. One like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. 
This is what John is referring to in Revelation 1. He approached the Ancient of Days, the Father, and was led into his presence. Zechariah 12.10, also alluded to in Revelation 1.7. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. There's going to be something good happen here on this on God's people that are Jewish from the house of David. God will pour out a spirit of grace and supplication. They're going to have God's favor, and they're going to, they're going to want to pray. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Because one day Israel is going to see what happened with the Messiah, that he was crucified in Jerusalem. Matthew 24, 30, Jesus alluded to this. At that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. This is what the entire book of Revelation is about. Um, Last verse, the divine author. The divine author, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Those are Greek letters. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. Jesus is saying, I am the A to Z. I am everything and everything in between. I am the beginning and the ending. I'm the one who is right now. I'm the one who was. And I am the one who is to come. And I am the Almighty. Mighty was used in Isaiah 9-7, or yeah, 9-6, of the mighty God, as the Messiah being the mighty God. And this is sort of God's stamp of approval on this book. As, as we proceed with the book of Revelation, this is God's saying, this is it, folks. Pay attention. This is all going to happen. So, application for us, Be ready. Live as if today is the day Jesus returns for you. Be ready. Live as if today is the day. Personally, I don't think there's anything keeping Jesus from coming back for his church and to take his people up to be with him. There's nothing in the Bible that keeps Jesus from coming today. Um, What if Jesus were to come at 10 o'clock tonight. Would you be embarrassed if Jesus came for you at 10 o'clock tonight? If you could refocus your life, what things would you change if you knew Jesus was coming for you this year? What if you only had six months to live? What things in your life would you try to get in order so that you would be ready to meet Jesus face to face. Matthew 24:44 is about the second coming. So you must also be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Yes, there's a difference between Jesus coming for his church in the air and Jesus coming to judge the earth in the second coming and coming down. In Revelation chapter 19, there's a difference. What the Bible teaches is be ready. Because the return of Jesus for you is imminent. 
That's always what the Bible has taught, and the church has held that for 2,000 years. We are to have our lives in order. So, personally, I think this is a great time to refocus your life. As you, as you look ahead to the coming year, what would you do to reflect, reevaluate, recalibrate, refocus? Um, do you need to have a new plan for what you're going to do with Bible reading? Maybe add scripture memory. Do you need to be intentional about your prayer life? Who are you praying for that needs to know Jesus right now? Maybe you need to get into a growth group in 2013. Maybe you need to look at how you've been spending your money and just make some mid-course decisions about how can I manage better? Um, How can I be more generous giving back to God in 2013? Um, so reflect, recalibrate, and refocus. And uh, let's think about that together as a church as we come into 2013. Let's stand together and pray. Father, I'm grateful for the book of Revelation and um, the opportunity to refocus in these next weeks. And I confess that there's some hard things to understand in the book. And yet there are so many things that are obvious that we can understand that you want for us. Give us wisdom. And I I pray that you will cause us during this next week to do some reflecting about how we stand before you, how our lives are before you, are the things that you would want us to change. So take some time this week and just ask God, God, what are some things I should refocus my life on. How can I honor you with all that I do in 2013? For Jesus' sake, amen.